You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Stebbings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 173 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and I'm not in the kitchen studio. I'm not in the lounge studio. I'm not even anywhere near Matt Smith. My co-host, because I am across the other side of the UK. Indeed, yes, ladies and gentlemen, he has left me in the studio all on my own. And frankly, I'm wreaking havoc. That's why we're starting late. Everything that could have gone wrong today with me here in the studio on my own, and despite the assistance of our newest co-host, uh, <laughs> we are massively 20 minutes late with our live broadcast. So anyway, everybody, including APG, will no doubt be laughing at my great expense. Uh, anyway, take it away, <laughs> Carlos. <laughs> so uh, joining us, as always, this week, uh, his second week in the uh, hot seat as well, is our illustrious co-host at large, Mr. Neville Bounds. Yeah, thanks very much indeed, Carlos. I'm a bit scared today. Uh, this is obviously my second appearance and things are going wrong. <laughs> so uh, I, I wish I was uh, in the same studio as Matt to try and help. You but, have uh, anyway, no here idea. We are, and uh, it's all going terribly well so far. Indeed. You have no idea how much I wish you were in the studio here, Nev. You have no idea. <laughs> so joining us to make sure things are keeping in a safe uh, kind of uh, realm it is our legendary man of everything that's to be safe. It is the host of the Plane Safety Podcast, Pilot Pip. Hey, everybody. Evening, Nev, Carlos, Matt. Hope everyone's well. Yes, I think so. I think so. We, we sort of survived another week. That's all we can hope for. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So, um, yes, so I think... It is- it is the 14th of July then, it's Friday, it's uh, just coming up to 20 past 7, so we're a, a few few minutes late, not very late, it's uh, kind of uh, keeping within uh, the usual uh, the lateness that we normally try and stick to, and uh, we've got loads of people in the chat room joining us tonight uh, in, the, uh, in the virtual chat room on YouTube, Mariana, Mark Harvey, Philip Davies, Jeff, we've got uh, Captain Jeff in the uh, chat room. We better be on our best behaviour. Mariana, Liz Piper, Julian Garwood, uh, Mark Harvey, Richard King. Hope I haven't missed anyone else. Uh, Glenn Towler. Um, Glenn Towler is in there as well. Uh, my word, we've got God. It's from all, Falco, nineteen eighty-three. Masha as well is in the chat room as well. Carlos Stebbings. Oh yeah, I'm in there. Yeah, I've, I've got to be in there. Oh, someone called Pilot Pip. He's in there as well. Lane Street. And uh, Shorty Crosgrove as well. Hello to you, Shorty Crosgrove, and uh, and welcome to to everyone who has joined us uh, on the live show tonight. We've got loads of news stories to get through uh, in the show tonight, as well as another legendary segment from uh, Nev on the passenger experience. Any uh, quick um, sort of tidbits of uh, what what tonight's segment is going to be about, Nev? Yeah, well, just continuing the theme of interviewing my industry colleagues, because most of them do fly a lot or have flown a lot in the past. And, um, yeah, we're just talking about the the same old story. I didn't uh, talk too much about British Airways this week, though, I'm pleased to say. <gasps> but uh, I met up with my guest on uh, Tuesday this week and um, in a Starbucks and, uh, yeah, did a, did a quick interview and then um, put it in the can and sent it over to Matt. Obviously, other can I, can coffee I, can shops Can I give a shout-out to someone at BA? As Neville know, I often have a, a bad word to say about BA. But get this, you're gonna this is shocking. Absolutely shocking. Everyone sat down, yes. <laughs> Sit down for this, yeah. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, hold on to your wig. This is gonna <laughs> blow your mind. 
on a BA flight to Prague <laughs> a few days ago, they gave me a free cup of tea. What? Free. <gasps> Holy mackerel, dun, that's frightening. Dun, dun. Hang on, was, they don't charge shocked. you for cups of tea, do they, on British Airways? That was unbelievable. Well, no, they don't. No. Okay. Uh, someone I, took pity on me. Free cup of tea. Did, did they? Wow. How about that? <laughs> There's nothing nothing wrong with a free cup of tea. So no. I, I take everything back that I've ever said about <laughs> I love them. Perhaps they saw your name on the manifesto. That, oh, no. We, we, just, yeah, we don't I'm want more negative publicity. <laughs> Keep them quiet. Indeed. Uh, anyway, it's uh, time to move on, guys. While all this is only just holding together, as I say, we are having a few okay. technical problems in the studio. So literally anything could happen. I won't lie. I'm a bit nervous. So, uh, Carlos, I think we, we should uh, get underway. Okay, so we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So, I dread to say this, uh, if you're ready, Matt. Uh, Yes, I think so. (laughs) And if you're ready, Nev. Yep, all good. Pip. Yes, sir. Let's go. Kicking off this week's first news story on the UKBusinessInsider.com. And uh, it's the headline is, It's War. American Airlines cuts ties with two of its biggest rivals in huge airline dispute. So on Wednesday this week, American Airlines announced its decision to sever its co-chair agreements with Etihad and Qatar Airways. Oh, wow. Or Qatar, or Qatar, however you want to call it. <laughs> According to Fort Worth, Texas-based airline Etihad and Qatar were both given notice on the June the 29th of its decision to end co-chair flights after the close of business on March 24th, 2018. The cancellation of the agreements which allow the airlines to sell tickets on one of another's or one of each other's flights uh, as if they were their own comes amid tense dispute between US airlines and their Middle Eastern uh, rivals over allegations of illegal subsidies. Mm. On Thursday, American confirmed that Qatar intended to continue with its plan to acquire an uh, unsolicited equity stake in the airline. Uh, in a statement, American Airlines wrote that in light of our ongoing dispute over the Open Skies Agreement, American Airlines notified Etihad Airways and Qatar on the 29th of June of our decision to terminate our code share relationships. Given the extreme strong uh, public stance that American has taken on the ME3 issue, we have reached a conclusion that the code sharing relationships between American and these carriers uh, no longer makes sense for us. The decision has no material financial impact on American and its extension of our stance against the illegal subsidies that these carriers receive from their governments. Uh, it's kind of, well, it's a bit shocking news, I suppose, really, because this, I thought, was quite um, um, quite a, a wealthy or profitable code share between, you know, obviously the Middle East and three and uh, American. So, you know, either... Uh, you know, they can go into a boxing ring and fight this one out, or what? I don't know. I mean, is but, it? Um, I mean, they're sort of suggesting that it's uh, came at, it's sort of not much notice, if you like. Has been, has been, has there has there been sort of fights, if you like, going on in the background? Has there been discussions going on in the background about it? There, it's all. It, I think it's to do with the fact. I think American think that the Middle East and three, the big three, you know, Qatar, uh, Emirates, and Etihad. American think that they're getting kind of better deals in certain right. things. So that's okay. annoyed, uh, obviously, American. 
So they've decided to, you know, pull the plug. Yeah. Matt, this is a this argument's been going on for years. Really? Um, you know, the Open Skies Agreement started sort of late '90s, early 2000s. Um, so nothing's really changed since then. Okay. Um, so the the big three American airlines have got a bit of a, a bee in their bonnets about <laughs> the big three Middle Eastern airlines receiving what they say are illegal state subsidies. Right. Well, you know, it goes both ways because you could certainly argue that. Um, the U.S. airlines and most other airlines in the world receive some sort of state benefits. Yeah. Um, you know, U.S. airlines received all this, um, what do they call it, Chapter 5, Chapter 7 or whatever it is, protection, so they, um, you know, didn't make any losses on, on uh, going bankrupt. Right. Uh, pensions were protected and all of that. So, you know, everyone does it. It's a tit for tat, but... Um, yeah. I, I don't know what quite why they're picking on. Well, I do know why, but why they're picking on the, the Middle East and Big Three? Because as I say, loads of airlines around the world receive state benefits. Malaysian Airlines, uh, China, um, loads, absolutely loads. But I guess it's just because the Middle Eastern three are the ones who are most hurting their profits. Right. So those are the ones who are sort of aggravating them the most, I suppose. Um, but I think really if they want to have a, a fair and more transparent argument, they really need to address the issue of um, airlines receiving state subsidies at large, not just the Middle East and three. Yeah, it's, uh, it is it is a tricky one. As you say, it's, uh, I don't know, it's a shame really, as you say, because there, there's been a, a, an agreement in place for quite a long time by the sounds of it, and it's just uh, it's a bit of a shame. Will it really make that much difference to the industry, though, if, if that's how? Well, it's, uh, it, not really, because... I mean, as far as I'm aware, the U.S. airlines don't fly those routes anyway, so they're not, you know, uh, yeah. Qatar, although they're making money on the route, they're not hurting profits at American Airlines or right. Delta because they're, they're not flying those routes, I don't yeah. think. Okay. Yeah, okay. It's sense. a silly argument because you could argue all sorts of ways, you know, that the Qatar and uh, Etihad and uh, Emirates, they buy billions of dollars worth of Boeing products, they... Uh, employ thousands, hundreds of thousands of Americans in one way or another. So, uh, you know, to say it's hurting their economy, yeah. Perhaps a bit strong. Maybe, maybe not, yeah. Mm. Uh, chapter 11. Thank you, Liz Piper, in the chat room. Chapter 11. Ooh. Well done, Liz. <laughs> good, old, good old Liz. Always rely on Liz. Yes, absolutely. So moving on to our next story, which uh, hopefully Matt will be able to... Uh, Read yes, indeed. Not. This is on the <laughs> Sunderland Echo, Echo uh, which is uh, not a newspaper I'm familiar with. But uh, anyway, <laughs> Ryanair, uh, as its story too, it's always a Ryanair story. And it is, Ryanair has issued a plea for passengers to comply with its hand baggage rules to reduce delays. The low-cost airline said some travellers are flying with bags that exceed the maximum dimensions allowed. This can cause disruption as they struggle to fit them into the aircraft's overhead lockers. Many passengers refuse to... To pay for checking in their luggage as fees can reach £60 for 20 for each 20 kilo bag when booked online. Ryanair said in a statement that its flights are 95% full this summer, so passengers must comply with baggage rules. The airline chief marketing officer, Kenny Jacobs, you can always rely on Kenny Jacobs for pleasant and unbiased comment, uh, warned that the airline's hand luggage allowance of one normal cabin bag and one small bag, such as a handbag or laptop, 
could be reduced le- un- could be un- reduced sorry unless passengers change their behavior he said we've noticed some customers are bringing larger than permitted bags on board which can cause delays and our policy may be reviewed should this practice continue as we enter the peak summer period with many full flights we urge customers to ensure that they travel with less carry-on bags where possible our aircraft can only carry 90 larger carry-on bags and our gate agents will rigorously enforce our carry-on policy to avoid flight delays and ensure that enjoyable travel experience can be had for all customers. Any customers who wish to carry on larger baggage are advised to purchase a check-in bag. Well, I have to say, all the, all the, the last couple of years that I've flown with Ryanair, because I do use them, because they te- generally tend to work out to be the cheapest airline to fly to Malta on, um, I, the last few times we've flown with them, you know, we've had to put our carry-on um, suitcases in the in the uh, you know in the in the hold, as opposed to the overhead bins, um, which is not brilliant. But you know, they, they do ask at the gate, you know, if anyone's got like an uh, especially an oversized bag, which yeah. they'll charge you more money for anyway. But uh, anyone who's carrying a bag which they don't mind going in the hold, they do put them in the hold for free. Yeah, they but do. It's it's, get, it's getting more more and more uh, you know regular now. They, so. They've got to make up their mind though. I mean, they, this was the airline way back that uh, talked about the fact they didn't want uh, checked baggage and you know bring it all into the cabin and and now that's obviously clearly not working. It hasn't worked for a long time. Mm. So they can't have it both ways, really, can they? The, the thing. I mean, that, that, the thing that bothers say, me as well is 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 actually the because the people that are getting at the neck are the are the are the cabin crew. I mean, and it's not really their fault, is it? I mean, people are aware of these rules and regulations before before they go. Um, I mean, I, I must admit, I've only been funny with cabin crew once because I had uh, I had a wedding video on a hard drive that was not going to go in the hold. I didn't care what uh, I had to do to, to to keep it with me, but there was no way that that was not. And it wasn't it wasn't a, a, a detriment towards the cabin crew. It was more my concern as to how my bag would be treated by the baggage handlers, given the precious contents, if you like, that was inside it. And I, I suppose there are many people who perhaps have that similar argument to what I had about why they wanted to keep their bag with them, I guess. But, um, I mean, I was lucky. I, I was going to say, Matt, on that kind of note, it, I mean, how many of us sitting here or there or wherever you are in the studios around the UK have uh, been in the queue for boarding a flight and seen someone with a with a carry-on that is clearly obviously yeah. way too big yeah. to be taken on as a yeah, carry-on? Because I have. And I'm pretty yeah. sure we all have. We all have, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you kind of accept that people are going to try it on, don't you? But, uh, yeah, it, it, as you say, and they, these things are clearly way too big to, 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 to go in. They certainly won't fit in the basket, you know, that you're supposed to <laughs> test uh, the thing with. But anyway, we could talk about this for ages and ages, I know, but I think we, we could should do. probably move on. So moving on to the next story, this one is a special one just for you, Nev. It's a BA one. And do you remember that uh, BA777 uh, that caught fire? There, there was uh, in a, Las Vegas, mm, a yeah. slight, slight engine hiccup there, and a uh, very <laughs> smoky business it was. Well, it's back in service, you'll be pleased to know, and uh, back it on uh, September the 8th, 2015. I can't believe it was that long ago. The left engine on flight 2276 exploded in a fireball 
uh, during takeoff at McCarran International Airport. At about 90 knots, the left engine, the number one engine, yes, obviously, had a catastrophic failure. In other words, it basically exploded, says Keith Mackey, an aviation expert and former pilot. The catastrophe crippled the Boeing Triple Seven, which took six months to repair at an estimated cost of several million dollars, and the $200 million aircraft finally returned to flight on the 25th of February 2016 and to commercial service a month later. The aircraft has also been assigned a new number for its British Airways travels. It's now known as Flight 2263. And the Boeing 777 has got a registration number of Golf Victor India India Oscar, which allows its flights to be tracked. Yes, we know that. Um, and <laughs> really? uh, it, it currently ferries passengers on non-stop flights between London and Jamaica and London and uh, Orlando, Florida. I have actually been on this uh, actual airframe uh, before it uh, had its engine problem, by the oh, way. I, yeah. I went, to, went to Orlando on it for a business trip uh, some wow. years ago. But uh, yeah, so it's back in the air now, so that's good, isn't it? So uh, it's quite interesting, because uh, judging by the amount of damage that was, was going on, and that, that fire was well alight for some time, I'm surprised that they've managed to get it uh, as, uh, as airworthy as they have. But uh, well, I, no, it's all, all good. Somebody must have signed off on it, I guess. That is, uh, oh, that yeah, is the, sure. the one thing. Uh, before we move on to the next story, I uh, just received an email via the old, because the only thing I seem to be able to monitor here in the studio are the uh, <laughs> podcast emails. And we just had one from Barbara Parrish. She says, help in gridlock. Trying to listen to PTUK on the M25 to keep me sane. Gridlock on the road for six hours. Taking me six hours to get to the M25 from Nottingham. The M25 oh. is closed from junctions 29 to 30. Now, if, if memory serves, those to, that is that is uh, Dartford, isn't it? Twenty nine mm, and thirty. Yeah. Dra- or Dratford, um, as I total it. bedlam. Help, love, Barbara. So uh, <laughs> we are thinking of you, Barbara. Good luck with what I can only describe as the nightmare that is M twenty five on a Friday night. <laughs> yes. So moving on, the next story. Uh, this one is uh, a special safety uh, story, just for you, Pip. <laughs> yes. Well, this story I think was inevitable at some point, wasn't it? Just a matter of time. So. Um, a tourist has died after being blown by the jet engines of a Boeing 737 at uh, St. Martin, a famous airport. We've all seen the YouTube videos of people standing on the beach while oh, uh, yes. 747s take off and, and cause havoc. Uh, the 57-year-old woman was injured after the plane took off from the infamous Princess Juliana International Airport on St. Martin in the Caribbean. The airport is known for how low planes pass over the nearby Maho Beach and the woman was thought to have been holding, a f- uh, holding onto a fence with her family while watching the aircraft take off yesterday. The victim from New Zealand died a short time after being hurt at approximately 6pm. Uh, uh, the rest is just a quote. Tourists have often visited Maho Beach so they can film planes passing above their heads. Plenty of videos have been posted online online show aircraft passing as low as 100 feet. That's a dumb sentence, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> aircraft have to go low to land. That's just really? one of the things you've got to do That's when you outrageous. land. Who'd have thought that, that an aircraft would have to get near to the ground in order to yeah. make contact with the ground to land safely? That's <laughs> just part of every textbook landing, I'm afraid. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are signs warning members of the public not to get too close to the runway. Um, yeah, but everyone does it. It's uh, I'm, I'm amazed that there hasn't been a, a serious incident or, or fatality before now. Uh, I've seen plenty of videos on YouTube with people being literally blown off their feet and, really? and away uh, into the distance when these things get going. It's really quite... Uh, 
an awesome force mm. and you see all these people grabbing onto the fence holding on for dear life and I guess this woman has just uh, got unlucky taken a tumble and hit something hard with her head and, and unfortunately uh, and it, it, it is a terrible out. shame I've just said that in the chat room it's a real real shame this has happened but I on the other hand I you know this is a real iconic place to to plane spot and I hope this doesn't kind of you know shut the entire area off for uh, you know the people who want to go and experience this uh, sort of thrill I mean you, yeah. I guess you have to sort of accept though that when, when you do go and do something like this and obviously you're close to you know any relatively sane human being will be aware that there are risks involved in going to this viewing area to sort of watch yeah. these things I mean, have we really lost sight of our, our, our minds that, that we don't accept any risk for the things that we do these days? I mean... Uh, to be fair, though, I wonder just how many members of the general public are aware of just how much uh, force. force, how yeah. much thrust is coming out of the back of, you know, uh, 747. Yeah, no fair point. Um, you know, you, you and I and all the guys in the chat room might be aware of it, but I bet everyone's not. And, and of course, they've all seen videos of thousands yeah. of other people without any uh, repercussions so you know yeah. what's the first thing you do when you get there you go stand on the beach you go stand on the beach and watch them come into land yes no that's fair i yeah. mean th this story was a 737 that, that this this particular aircraft which which was uh you know creating this and that's, this, a, that's uh, a two wash. engine but, I mean, plane yeah i mean what what if this was a 747 it would have been uh four engines yeah <laughs> <laughs> four engines as opposed to two yeah. well actually uh, i don't know if uh, pip's ever flown into norrköping uh, airport in sweden uh, at all um but I so. um I, I used to do that route a lot from Copenhagen uh, years ago and um, the uh, SAS guys used to run MD81s, MD87s out of there and they need quite a lot of breakaway thrust to actually get, get the thing going, especially on, on the uh, heavyweights and the apron area there is not very big and all of the passengers were uh, boarding on steps and actually there was an MD87 uh, next to us that just used a little bit too much breakaway thrust and uh, two or three people on the adjacent stairs as the aircraft turned uh, ended up you know, at the, at the bottom of the staircase so uh, there, there's an awful lot of thrust uh, coming out of these things even at uh, you know moderate power settings so uh, uh, imagine uh, you know something close to takeoff thrust is uh, quite incredible really yeah i bet uh, mm. mirianna has actually made quite a good point in here can't they uh, can't they watch it slightly to the side of the flight path is that that not something that can be done well that i think the whole uh, yeah i think the whole thrill is to stand directly behind it isn't it yeah well no, fair enough yeah, it, I'm, I must admit, I've, I've seen the videos, but I've always wanted to lay on that beach, you know, on the back with the camera ready and just be flown over by a... Yeah, Come know, on, what's the first uh, thing you're going to do if you go to St. Martin? Yeah, I know what yeah, I'm yeah, right there. <laughs> but you guys are at least uh, what what I guess what we're getting at here is you guys are at least uh, aware of the risks involved in doing that and would, as you say, perhaps lie down rather than try and be upright as these things fly over. So, oh yeah, I, I would be taking ear defenders, yeah. uh, uh, goggles, uh, high vis jacket. Yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, it's not the landing, uh, Matt, that's the, the problem. is It's the taking off that's the, the really dangerous right. part. Right, yeah. Uh, I, w I was about to accidentally read out Captain Jeff's uh, message in the chat room there, but then um, I decided against it, so we'll, <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> so oh, moving on. Captain <laughs> Jeff, what, which, you know, I honestly th I, I thought better of him. <laughs> there we are. Uh, I'm just going to go back and read that. Yeah. It's, uh, a, it's a real shame that I don't have your soundbar sound bar here, because uh, uh, yeah. uh, that's what she said would be very appropriate right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> anyway, moving on, Ron, yeah. uh, uh, Matt. Yeah. Uh, the next story uh, is uh, on uh, the, oh, here we go, dailystar.co.uk website. Oh, a quality and, newspaper. 
a quality rag, this one. Yeah, and uh, the uh, headline is uh, Budget Airline Launches Flights to America. Another one uh, to America for £139. God, we, it's going to be like we're going to get to a stage where flights to America are, are going to be like three quid. Uh, but anyway, uh, Wow Air have announced wow. this wow. week uh, a new flight from the UK to the US for just £139. So uh, the uh, I've announced a new route uh, from. Uh, oh, I've got a video playing here. I must oh, just good. turn that video <laughs> off. There we go. <laughs> uh, they've announced uh, a new route from. Uh, what's that? From very. Oh, here we go. A bit of a. a Everything all right there, Carlos? Do you need your uh, medication or something? <laughs> no, it says it says Carious. It should be various UK airports to Chicago. Uh, with a minuscule price tag. The budget flights will depart from London, Gatwick, Edinburgh and Bristol. Iceland's only low-cost airline announced a budget fare to celebrate the commencement of its new service to the UK, uh, uh, to Chicago. Uh, flights at this price are valid from September to March. Uh, Skul Morgensen, CEO of WOW, said that the commencement of our new route to Chicago is a fantastic milestone and a reflection of our continued growth. Our mission is to provide the cheapest transatlantic fares on the market and through our latest fares initiative we continue to deliver our promise making vibrant destinations such as chicago viable for travelers wishing to avoid heavy travel costs all flights to chicago will go via Reykjavik in iceland uh, bringing in the city's diverse culture offering dramatic skyscapes acclaimed gastronomy and lively sporting scenes to the uk travelers budget uh, the service to Chicago O'Hare will operate four times a week from London, uh, increasing to six times a week during the peak season, uh, four times a week from Edinburgh as of this winter, and twice a week from Bristol. The approximate total journey time from London Gatwick uh, to, uh, to Chicago will be 11 hours, including the stopover. Uh, and you can go over to Wow Air uh, to, wow! to find out more info. But I, I tell you one one name that springs to mind, and Neville, and obviously Pip will probably know this, is uh, is uh, L uh, Laker. Mm. Freddie. Yeah. Yeah. He he obviously uh, was the one of the first ever operators of of low cost uh, fares across the Atlantic, um, followed very closely by uh, by Virgin back in 1984. Four, I think they started the, their yeah. operation from Gatwick to, to Newark. Um, but this is almost like going full circle again now, isn't it? Where it was just a question of time before for this demand um, was really made available. And we've talked about it and we've heard about it for some years now, but there, there really are these flights uh, going to be available. £139. That is incredibly cheap. So there we go. You heard Indeed. it here first. So our... <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. Thanks. Pete. Who's list Who's listening to the office? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so moving on to the next story. Yes, uh, indeed. And the next story is, is especially. Uh, Yes, that's especially for me, and this is on the bizjournals.com website. And the headline is, Delta takes delivery of first Airbus A350-900 
in North America. Uh, we have uh, Delta Airlines Inc. Uh, said Thursday it's taking delivery of the first state-of-the-art Airbus A350 in North America. In North American, I think they mean North America, with plans to begin service with the plane on the 30th of October on the Detroit to Tokyo. Is it Narita? Narita. Narita. Uh, yeah, international route. Delta said that the 306-seat A350-900 redefines the international airline experience. The Airbus A350 sets a new standard of flying experience for our customers, representing years of product innovation as Delta continues to transform into a leading global carrier, said Ed Bastian, Delta's CEO, in a statement. Our new flagship A350 fits well in Delta's long-haul network, uh, combining an exceptional customer experience with strong operating economics and fuel efficiency as we retire older, less efficient aircraft. Uh, it's um, uh, somebody explained to me what the difference is between this, the A three fifty nine hundred, and uh, other sort of like like the well, not like the dream uh, dreamliner, but uh, the A three eighty. What's what's the difference? Well, the three fifty nine hundred is very similar to uh, to the dreamliner, the Dash nine in right. size. Okay. Um, obviously, one's Airbus and one's Boeing. Okay. But, you know, so I, I know are, that much. Have, um, I think was it the the one the A three fifty one thousand. I think had its first flight a few weeks back. Nev, mm, that's right. Yes, it is. Yeah, and I think it's using uh, again composite um, technology, uh, so enables the uh, cabin altitude to be uh, lower than normal. So uh, uh, you'll get off the uh, plane feeling somewhat more refreshed than you would normally. Well, yes, and if if the experience I had on the seven five seven three hundred is anything to go by, <laughs> it really can't get any worse. Oh, frankly, that will never hear the end of that. No, I'll you won't. You. No, frankly, it was the most. <laughs> well, I, I've been and sc- I, I, I still but, maintain that the that the A three fifty looks like Zorro. From the front. <laughs> right, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I would show you pictures, but unfortunately, I've got some technical problems here in the studio, so I'm not able to do that. Excellent. <laughs> That's what she said. Anyway, Indeed. moving on to the <laughs> next story. Uh, Nev, this one is all for you. Is it really? Um, I thought it was for Matt, but uh, there it? we are. Oh, I've just, I've just no. done it. I've just done Matt's one. just done his one. Oh, he certainly has, hasn't he? <laughs> yes. Keep up, Nev. Keep up. I, I, I was concentrating on something entirely yes. different, which I really can't tell you about. Oh, hello. Um, oh. Do you remember what happens when you've, you've heard about people getting bumped off flights or, uh, you know, when they've overbooked? Well, yes. United Airlines has started a new marketing technique that would compensate passengers who give up their reserved seats in advance so that the seats could be resold to last-minute travellers willing to pay a lot more for them. And uh, the airline is working with a tech startup called Volantio on the project, which is called the Flex Schedule Program. And it works like this. Those who book their trips through the airline's website and who agree to take part could receive a message from United as much as five days before departure, asking them if they would be willing to switch to a different flight to the same destination on the same day in exchange for a $250 travel voucher. If they agree, then they would free up a seat that United could then resell to a last-minute business traveller for a much higher fare than the original passenger was paying. The technology would allow United to determine in advance 
which sold-out flights are most likely to see significant last-minute demand and thus where flex scheduling would produce the best results in terms of revenue enhancement. This is similar to common practice of avoiding bumping by soliciting volunteers on an overbooked flight to take a later departure in exchange for a travel voucher. The value of the voucher can increase until enough people agree to be bumped. The difference is that the flex schedule would not be used strictly as an overbooking solution but could be applied for any flight where United thinks it could raise more revenues by reselling seats on fully booked departures. Uh, United's thinking is that passengers who agree a few days in advance to change their flights wouldn't have to go through the anxiety of a last second overbooking auction at the airport and would still get to their destination about uh, when they planned all from the comfort of their home or office. And the last-minute bookers would be able to snag a seat on the flight they wanted uh, if they're willing to pay for a last-minute fare. The concept would obviously only work on routes with significant business travel demand and with enough flight frequencies to accommodate the passengers who agree to be rebooked. In an earnings conference call this year, United President Scott Kirby said that the airline was selling out its flights too far in advance with too many discounted fares and needed a way to make more seats available for higher paying business travellers who book close to departure. This looks like a kind, the kind of solution he might have in mind. Now, it, it's quite interesting because I think this is... Um, well, put it this way, how many times, you know, I've, I've been bumped off flights many times and it's always a last-minute scramble at, at the gate and it's not a very really? pleasant experience, I have to say. So to actually do this in advance, maybe four or five days in advance when they can see what the booking's going to be, um, might be quite interesting. And it obviously will raise a considerable amount of revenue for those uh, the last-minute sort of business-class flights tickets that they want, want but, to sell. But then and I suppose also it goes the other way, doesn't it? It gives everybody the opportunity you know, to, to sort of replan, if you like. So if you've yeah. got five days, you've got a better chance of finding an alternative route if you must, must go on that day. Exactly. Um, or because if you know if if you're going for a wedding or something like that, then then you know obviously it's quite important that you you get away that like that. But perhaps if it's a honeymoon or whatever, it doesn't matter if it's a a day or so the other side, perhaps. So uh, yeah. this could be but a we, smart we, move. But with this prior notice, it would create less fights, I think. You know, with United. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, it. it, it uh, I don't know. Any thoughts, Pip? I mean, I mean, how would how would you feel about this? Have you ever been bumped? You, no, I haven't actually. Um, no, I haven't. I, I quite like it. When I first read this, I thought, oh, geez, here we go. What is all this? But actually, thinking about it, it's a kind of a win-win for everyone, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, if the airline can make a little bit more money, then that's that's good. And if passengers are willing to be flexible and get a little money or a voucher in return, then, then why not? Um, I'd certainly like to be offered the chance, you know, if I can be flexible and, and get something back. I'd probably yeah. have a good think about that. Yeah, I, 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 must, because obviously when I, I when think it's I, a reasonable idea. I, I agree with you. I, I, I mean, actually, because I, I, obviously I was flying United when I went, when I went out to um, to Pittsburgh, and and actually, really? oh, yeah, yeah, indeed. I don't know if that okay. came up in conversation at all. Uh, but uh, coming home, um, I did actually tick the box to say if you want to sort of bump me, that's that's fine. Uh, and I didn't, which I was quite gutted about, because I, I could have quite happily spent another two or three days in Pittsburgh, frankly. But uh, <laughs> there we are. I was having a really nice time. <laughs> so moving on to the next story. Uh, this one is Pips. That's me. This one, airliner nearly lands on other planes at San Francisco International Airport. Ooh, are, you, are we sure Harrison Ford wasn't flying? 
<laughs> no, that was going to be my joke. I'll oh. make your own jokes, Matt. <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> anyway, sorry. All right. See, this back. is the trouble you see because I'm starting to pay attention now. Uh, <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> right. The pilot of an Air Canada plane carrying 140 passengers made a last-minute manoeuvre to avoid landing on a taxiway at San Francisco International Airport where four passenger jets were lined up to take off. Uh, federal officials said Tuesday they were investigating why the pilot, pilots, that should be, plural, why the pilots mistakenly made his approach towards the taxiway instead of the runway just to the left. An air traffic controller ordered the Airbus A320 to abort and circle for another landing, which it did without incident Friday night. Mm, some guy called Todd Curtis said it was definitely a serious event since a landing on an active taxiway could lead to a catastrophic accident. In audio posted on live ATC nets, which records flight communications, the pilot on the plane from Toronto, pilots on the plane from Toronto, an air traffic <laughs> controller, sounded calm as the close call unfolded. All right, this is the uh, this is the ATC audio. <laughs> Hopefully, you can hear this. I'm just going to hold my iPhone up to the to the microphone here. And uh, tower, just want to confirm this uh, Air Canada 10 of the record. So, so just, uh, just looking at it from... Oh, uh, playing something else. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, <laughs> this is, this is, it's a really slick show today, everyone. Uh, so, uh, go, well, go... an iPhone. Indeed, shut your face. Uh, <laughs> what, what's this... Um, uh, so, I mean, so, realistically, who, what actually happened here then, Pip? So, wh what, what was... Well, who was at fault, what, essentially? From what was I he read. not getting information from the tower, or, or, or was it a mistake just by the pilot, or... Um, what, 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 what are the thoughts? So here's what I understand. I've not done a huge amount of research. He was on a visual approach. In fact, check this out. I've got this already queued up. This is only for the people in the chat room, I suppose. I've got this is the, uh, the approach chart for San Francisco. For that. Is that coming out clear enough? Yeah. Yeah. We can see yeah. That, yeah. All right. This is, this is, what's this called? This is the quiet bridge visual approach. Visual, that's the key word there. Uh, so what he's meant to do, he's not following an ILS. Uh, right. He's following this this line here, which is just mm -hmm. he's just visually tracking this line yep. uh, in towards the runway. Uh, you can't quite see it here, but it's kind of offset. Here's the runway axis right. here. You see okay. this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's we the see runway that. axis. And the approach actually is about 10 or 11 degrees offset. Okay. Whether that played a, a part in it, I don't know. Right. So you're meant to fly along here, and then at the last minute, I think that points at about six miles, you then line up with uh, the runway. Now, I think this was at night as well. This was a night approach. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so it, it's. I sent you a picture earlier, Matt. Are you able to flash it up? Nope. It's pretty. It's pretty <laughs> obvious what's a runway and what's a what's not. Okay. Uh, not a runway, especially at night with with everything lit up. So quite yeah. how we managed to get lined up on the taxiway, I'm not. Yeah. Really sure if if he was following some sort of FMS track. So he was flying visually, but he was letting the aircraft follow a pre sort of programmed right. uh, GPS based track, and it got a, just a little sort of cross track error yeah. in it, perhaps of a few hundred meters. Okay. Uh, that might account for how he got there, but why he didn't notice much earlier that he was in the uh, wrong place is beyond me. Yeah. But he obviously did notice at some point because he he questioned it. He said, "Hey, why is there a bunch of aeroplanes on my runway?" And the yeah. controller, as you heard, says uh, uh, there isn't. Yeah. Um, but he carried on regardless. Right. Um, so whether I guess there's a lot of human factors issues cropping up here. Maybe they were fatigued. Yeah. Uh, you know, was, I think it was about midnight which um, was probably much later for them coming from Toronto, I think they were, which is 3 a.m. Yeah. So maybe they were tired, fatigued. Um, I don't know, but they, they carried on. And I don't know if this part's true, but it seems to have been reported widely that they went around at about 100 feet above Ooh. the runway, which is just about as close to the runway as you can get without touching down. Right. Um, and they, they missed the first aircraft again by about 100 feet. Wow. Uh, in the go around, so um, could have been it, pretty damn serious accident actually, yeah. or incident I should say. This could have gone horribly wrong. Yeah, I mean, thankfully it didn't, obviously, and and uh, they, everybody got away with it, I suppose. But uh, I mean, perhaps they need to review their review their um, procedures to ensure this doesn't happen well, again. I, I, w I wouldn't have said the procedures are at fault. Okay. I mean, the procedures would be pretty clear. I mean, it's. I think there's got to be more to this. There's a, a, a part of the story we're missing. Um, you know, it should have been so obvious. Maybe there was a problem with the lighting on that particular runway. Okay. But there's no way you can confuse a, a fully lit runway um, with a taxi runway yeah. from a taxiway. It's. Yeah. It's unbelievable that it could happen. Actually, so, I don't know what else is going on there. Mark Harvey in the chat room has said that uh, apparently Max Trescott talked about this on a post uh, that Mark saw earlier. Uh, Mark says the adjacent runway was shut down, so he did not see the lights he expected. Uh, okay. It was no timed. It was right. no timed, uh, so he should have known about it. But then uh, that's, we, uh, that's what he's read anyway. But we, we know from, uh, obviously, our, our, when we were at uh, Duxford this week, that you can't always rely on people reading their no-tams, as we discovered <laughs> uh, in well, the middle no, of... Well, no-tams uh, aside, it's, I still say it would have been as obvious as the nose on your face as to mm. which was a runway uh, and which wasn't. So, it, okay, so if, if the other runway was shut down and had no lighting and... So the picture he would have been looking at, he might have been expecting to see two great big lit runways, yep. one onto the left of him and one in front of him. Okay. So instead, he's not seeing one to the left. He's just seeing a big bright one, which he assumes is 28 left, and then some other lights to the right, which is the, the taxiway, but he assumes is 28 right. Just yeah. a quick, uh, quick question, Pip. Why do you think that they would have elected to do a visual approach? Why not do an ILS on, onto 28 right? Uh, I believe the there was no ILS onto 28 right. Ah, it was out of gotcha. service. The glide yeah. slope, I think I read, was active. But uh, to be honest, I think it's just a standard thing out that yeah. way to, to is, do yeah. these visual approaches, probably for noise abatement. Yeah. Um, it sort of avoids the avoids the built-up errors. I'm just trying to find a picture. You guys carry on chatting. What was that? 
That's a motorbike. Just went past the window. Here. Um, <laughs> I thought you had some sort of appliance. Uh, <laughs> <there>. <laughs> um, shall we go on to the next story while, while Pip's finding that? Um, next story is from me, this one. Uh, this is on the airlinegeeks.website.com. This is not uh, to be confused with the airplane geeks. It's the airlinegeeks.com. Uh, headline, EasyJet graduates uh, graduates first group of aviators with professional aviation pilot practice degree. As of the 11th of July 2017, EasyJet announced that the first group of pilots with a BSc Honours in Professional Aviation Pilot de Practice degree had graduated. Uh, Tuesday marked the completion of the first uh, airline-sponsored PAPP or PAP degree. Uh, seven pilots graduated from the program on Tuesday, the first of over 130 currently enro enrolled uh, through Middlesex University. Uh, I'm thrilled to be graduating alongside my colleagues today on the BSc Honours in Professional Aviation Practice degree. This course has given me the opportunity to undertake a degree alongside my commercial pilot training, said EasyJet pilot Anna Grady. The degree is designed in a way that it fits very well in with the flight training schedule with no degree modules required at key pressure points. For example, during, a 14, uh, during the 14 ATPL exams that all pilots undertake, I consider the degree has taught me to uh, be a reflective practitioner, continually assessing how I can improve my performance, Grady continued. Launched in 2013, the special program came to be as a result of a joint effort between Middlesex University, L3 Commercial Training Solutions, which is an airline pilot training and uh, simulation organization, and EasyJet and is run through the Institute of Work-Based Learning. Ultimately, the first two years are completed at L3's Airline Academy, while the final two years are completed while the pilots fly as first officers for EasyJet. And, uh, well, it's good news, really, for, uh, for fresh young pilots, uh, you know, getting, uh, getting all their degrees. BSc in honours, uh, if that... Professional Aviation Pilot Practice degree. That's good. Perhaps that's, uh, that'll be where Owen will be heading soon, no doubt, with his, uh, you know, progression through the uh, through the air of various airlines. <laughs> no, now. <laughs> we never know. We never know. We never know. But no, that's uh, that's really good news because it, it, it's a lot, a hell of a lot of hard work that these guys put into doing this, mm. uh, and uh, you know, to to be. You know, the first to go through this course and uh, enrol, be enrolled and stuff, and, and finish and complete the course. Now it's good. Hats off to them. It's. It, I mean, the, the one thing that uh, that uh, melts my mind with uh, all of this thing, and and when we've been talking to people who are learning to fly and stuff, it is terrifying how much money is actually involved in trying to uh, become a commercial pilot. I mean, it's it's frightening numbers, isn't it? It's. Uh, I mean, from uh, I'm I'm firing this at Pip obviously because he's here, but uh, it must. I mean, it must have been quite a serious decision that had to be made with a view to thinking, right, this is what I want to do for a living, and. You know, I mean, it, I mean, we must be talking. I mean, I don't suppose you know the numbers, do you, that were involved in you actually reaching your end goal? Uh, well, I did a little while ago, um, so I didn't spend nearly uh, as much as they do these days. And I had some flying paid for by the uh, by the RAF, actually, which is rather lucky. But yeah. uh, these days, funnily enough, the guy I'm flying with now, his son has just been accepted into the KLM Flight Academy in Holland. Oh, cool. So we were chatting about that today, and I said, oh, that's fantastic. So is that a, a fully sponsored scheme? 
And he laughed at me and he said, no, of course not. <laughs> I said, well, well, how much is it costing then to go to the KLM Flight Academy? And he said, it's about 160,000 euros. <coughs> wow. Wow. I mean, 160,000 quid almost. You can yeah. you buy a house for that, can't you? You can. So it's a, a serious, um, serious, serious commitment. And, and people need to think very carefully. But of course, you know, yeah. when you're young and, and gung-ho, and you've say, got yeah. big dreams, you just go yeah. for it. You don't consider what's 20 years down the road when you maybe yeah. have a family and a mortgage and all the rest of it. Well, I'm, um, I'm, But hey, that's, that's the way it is. And if, that's what people have got to do these days, it seems. Well, and one of my so, friends, he actually, he, he'd actually done, uh, he got as far as he got enough hours in the book and all that kind of thing. And he just couldn't get himself a, a flying job at the end of the day and he, and he got uh, I know he, he sort of left it he got a just a ground crew uh, job because he wanted to, to do something with aviation uh, and he was based out of Gatwick uh, EasyJet then uh, he finally got a position at EasyJet and it all just fell through at the last minute and that was it no. Uh, all, all of his um, you know and, and now a lot of his things have lapsed and so he's got to and he just hasn't got the money to, to yeah. bring, to well, that's the danger. It can be a, a cruel, cruel path, uh, and it just never ends. You know, once you've got your hours and you want to find that first job, which yeah. these days, uh, days is typically with the likes of EasyJet or mm. Ryanair. Yeah. Well, then you then got to pay the Ryanair a hefty sum of money just to go and and work there yeah. for a bit. It's yeah. It's a crazy old game, but um, I see just today Ryanair uh, uh, again pleading for new pilots. They are uh, offering more and more sort of incentives to go and work for them so maybe things are s slowly turning around here in europe they already did in the states because they've got a big pilot shortage yeah uh, they keep mentioning this, they keep mentioning this word pilot shortage and, yeah and, yeah as I, well, say, I mean without a doubt there is a pilot shortage it's just various parts of the world are a bit more yeah. proactive in, in tackling it um, i think, I think if, here in europe we've been a bit slow yeah if it wasn't so expensive to learn to fly um, and I see the reasons why it is, but if it wasn't so expensive, if there were more um, training schemes or funded or some kind of airline-funded schemes, I think there were, that we wouldn't have a pilot shortage. There'd be a lot more younger people uh, who would be, you know, more in, you know, they'd, they'd want to do it. You know, they'd want to yeah. become a pilot. You know, yeah. do you see where I'm coming from? It's yeah, it's it's very expensive. Uh, I, I think those days have gone. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, that was. That was the way it was done. You either went to the military or you got a fully sponsored yeah. uh, course with an airline. But I don't think we'll ever see that come back. I think uh, people it's a shame. are going to have to pay the way. Yeah, but, you know, I would never discourage anyone from pursuing their dreams. If that's, oh, no. no. If that's your dream and you're passionate, then for goodness sake, go for yeah. it. Life's too short, but it's uh, a hefty burden to take on. I'm just going to take small humbridge, if I may. Welcome to uh, Dr. Steph, who's just joined us in the chat room. Oh, hello, here. Dr. Steph. Uh, unfortunately, one of the first things that she said in the chat room is that I, I need a nap. nap, which is slightly <laughs> offensive. So I don't know whether she's come here in order to ensure she can get her nap uh, or what. But uh, there we are. Th uh, welcome to the chat room, I think, Dr. Steph. <laughs> so, so moving on, so we can uh, try and uh, put... Dr. Steph to sleep Absolutely. a bit easier. Well, the good it's news the is it's, story. It's, it's my turn to read. So, um, you know, I, yes. I have a habit of putting people to sleep when I'm not reading. So who knows? Uh, this is on the... Actually, actually, this story is specially for Dr. Steph. Is it? Right. Okay. I love uh, the story, by the way. Uh, IPA connoisseur. Okay, right. So this is on a slightly odd World, website. Behave. Uh, <laughs> the Outlook India uh, website. And the headline is Australian plane passenger checks in can of beer. 
This guy's done it, and he's won the internet for the day, so we're happy to move on, a spokesman said in a statement to the BBC. Uh, so this is in Melbourne. This took place on July the 12th. A beer-crazy Australian man has successfully checked in a can of lager as his only luggage on a domestic flight. Uh, but the airliner hopes others will not follow his prank. For a laugh, Dean Stinson, a data research analyst, uh, checked in the can of emu export. Um, <laughs> Oh, that, that, that just sounds horrific. Uh, lager on a Qantas flight from Melbourne to Perth last Saturday. Uh, the can arrived, tagged and unopened as the first item on the baggage carousel at Perth Airport <laughs> after a four-hour journey from Melbourne. There was no luggage out yet, but everyone was milling around and had their phones out, so uh, I was pretty sure that I knew what was going on, uh, he told the news website uh, Unilad. Uh, Stinson said he and a friend had come up with the idea as a joke the airline Qantas said it did not encourage other travellers to follow suit this guy's done it and won the internet for the day so we're happy to move on a spokesman said in a statement to the BBC the airline does not charge an additional fee for checked in baggage the report says now they I mean it's <laughs> yeah wow uh, <laughs> that's it's this different. had to be your it's story different. Matt <laughs> thanks yes it's a, it's a different uh, story I'll give you that uh, <laughs> oh dear. boy I don't know what to I say just, to that, really. <laughs> apparently, Dr. Steph said she might try this tomorrow. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Oh, no. Uh, brace yourselves, everyone. They're talking about food in the chat room again. Uh-oh. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> no. Abort. 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 <laughs> okay. So moving, on to, moving on to the next story, which isn't beer-related. No. Uh, no. Nev, this one's for you. Yes, you know that uh, Beluga aircraft that uh, Airbus have got this uh, very chunky-looking thing, which ferries. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's the, not the most attractive. It looks like a dolphin, honestly. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, the, uh, actually, we we saw it. it was actually it was actually at uh, Toulouse when myself and Owen went mm. there. We actually managed to get some photos yeah. of it. Um, uh, it I've, I've seen it a number of times up at Horden, up at Chester. Yeah, it's a uh, regular it's, visitor there. Yeah, yeah I think it's a nice aeroplane. Well, uh, that, that's as maybe, but uh, Stelia Aerospace, which is a subsidiary of Airbus, last week delivered the first upper fuselage section for the developmental Airbus Beluga XL, the planned successor to the Beluga 600XT, based on the A300-600 platform, which is uh, getting on about that aircraft, that's for sure. The uh, Beluga 600XT is the swollen transport freighter Airbus developed for carrying oversized airframe components such as fuselage sections and wings among the amongst the different uh, factories of Airbus. That the new upper fuselage section from Stelia measures 26.25 feet long by 29.5 feet wide and 29.26.25 feet high and weighs uh, 2.1 metric tons. The Stelia Rochefort uh, plant in Western France, which built the component, also carries the responsibility for the huge cargo door weighing in at 6,600 pounds, which is three metric tons. And one of the tier one suppliers of the program, Stelia Aerospace, also produces the nose section, including the cockpit. And um, German company Dehard Aerospace makes the central fuselage sections. And Spain's Aereo uh, Nova produces the aft sections. And Stelia has rec recruited 510 employees to develop and industrialize the program starting in early 2015. We are very satisfied with how the program has developed since we delivered the first item on time, explained Stelia Aerospace's CEO, Cedric Gaultier. The supplier delivered the first nose section last April and uh, 
Wednesday as Rochford Factory also makes the ramp door of the Airbus A400M military transport, giving it solid experience with this kind of production. And that the new Beluga XL is of paramount importance to the ramp up of our commercial aircraft, explains Bertrand Georges, Airbus's director of the Beluga XL program. The current XD fleet is flying more and more, increasing its airborne hours from 4,000 per year in 2012 to more than 8,000 hours per year. Georges says that he expects the fleet to pass the 10,000 hour, uh, hour per year milestone by 2019. Based on an A330-200F airframe, the planned fleet of five Beluga XLs will provide 30% more transport capacity than the Beluga 600 XTs. For example, each one can carry a complete set of A350 XWB wings, compared with just one wing for the 600 XT. Similarly, it can carry more parts of the A320. In total, the new Beluga can carry 52 tonnes of payload over a distance of 2,200 nautical miles non-stop. And the first assembly of the first air, sorry, final assembly of the first airframe started in January at the A380 factory in Toulouse and Airbus expects the first flight to occur in mid-2018 and plans call uh, for the first two aircraft to participate in the flight test program scheduled for just under a thousand hours. It expects the first airplane to enter service in mid-2019 when it starts uh, starts transporting wings between Broughton, UK, Bremen, Germany and Toulouse in France. After the first airplanes enter service, a new Beluga comes on every line every, uh, every year until 2022. And the five existing Beluga 600 XTs, which will reach the midlife in 2018-19, will gradually retire from service, but will continue to fly alongside the XLs. The, the future remains unclear, but Airbus is studying possibilities for service with operators interested in oversized transport, it said. But at least one of the Beluga 600 XTs will go to the Aeroscopia Museum in Blognac, says uh, Georges. And uh, obviously this is a huge uh, aircraft, and, and obviously the, the payload yeah. of... Uh, 52 tons over that kind of uh, distance is, I mean, is massive, isn't it? I mean, it was like, I was, I, when, I, when I saw it, actually, because it was sort of parked <laughs> quite near other ordinary aircraft, and mm. it, the actual length and things wasn't really that much different to, not massively different, certainly from the perspective that I had from the actual airport, and it was over by the Airbus yeah, factory where yeah, I saw yeah. it, um, and it was um, kind of... Uh, a little bit... Uh, it was the height, really. It was so obviously much taller than anything mm. else that I'd ever seen. Um, yeah, you know. it's, it's the width and the height, really, that, yeah. uh, that it's got going for it. Yeah. That is what she said. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> okay. Uh, Pip, I think the next story is with you. <laughs> okay, this is all about noise. And this is from the East Anglian Daily Times. Oh. My favourite. My, lo my, yeah, yeah, my, my local rag, yeah. Noisy night flights from Stansted Airport will be tackled in a new crackdown, a government minister has pledged. Transport Secretary Chris Grayling has outlined a series of measures to reduce noise at Stansted, Heathrow and Gatwick airports. These include new quotes, I think I should say quotas, on the number of flights. Mr Grayling said in a written statement to Parliament, I'm fully aware noise is a major concern for those living near these airports and that night noise is widely regarded as the most disturbing impact of aviation. Uh, while advances in new technology mean aircraft are generally getting quieter, the limits governing night noise at these airports has not kept pace with the developments. Uh, the new rules we're publishing today will encourage the use of quieter aircraft at the three airports by reducing the amount of noise these airports are legally allowed to make 
and will give local residents a five-year guarantee about the level of noise that will be that they will be exposed to. Uh, Mr. Grayling also pledged to do more to incentivize it. Oh, help me out, someone. Incentivize. Oh, forget it. You know that word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I've actually got the story up in front of me. So. No, no, indeed. I'd love to be able to help you, but uh, no, it's uh... incentivize. Incentivize. Oh, okay, just... is that even a word? Incentivize. Yes, yeah, so they're making it up as they go that's, along. I think that's a difficult word. That mm. one. Indeed. Uh, yes, that word. Uh, the industry to invest in quieter aircraft. Martin, Martin Peachy, noise advisor for Stop Stanford Expansion, said he needed to look at the proposals in detail. However, he added that the overriding wish of the campaign group was to see a progressive overall reduction of night flights. He says the flights are very noisy, especially at night. And in that area where we quite enjoy, we enjoy quiet ambient conditions at night. Uh, yada, yada, yada. The story goes on a bit. Yeah. Um, so kind of um, <laughs> a bit general, not much detail there as to exactly what they're proposing. Just some sort of uh, general political waff I mean, to I, uh, I was, appease I was, the, the local electorate. I wasn't really that aware that, I mean, I, I mean you hear these things about um, uh, sort of Gatwick and Heathrow especially. I mean, these things are mentioned on quite a regular basis, aren't they? But uh, I, I must admit that's the first time I've heard uh, anything about... Uh, um, it's the first time I've heard anything really about Stansted. Yeah, to be honest, I, th I think um, Stansted is probably more, um, you know, they've got a night curfew at, at Heathrow, so generally things stop at about 11.30 right, and don't yeah. start again until 6am. Uh, but I think Stansted goes through the night because they receive a lot of night freight right. uh, operators in there. Yeah. Um, but then having said that, the you know, there's not so many people living around. The population around Stansted is not quite what it is uh, out in West London or perhaps down around Gatwick. Mm. Um, but, yeah, still, it's um, yeah, the same old stuff. You know, quieter yeah. aeroplanes, less flights, but it'll never... No. If, you, if you if you buy a house near an airport, then you've got to expect a bit of noise. Yeah, you have, really. That, that's the way I see it. Yeah, I, I suppose it's... Uh, I, I mean, you could argue maybe that some of these people have uh, uh, been living at this... Uh, you know, have been living in the area for a long time, and it's only really recently because there's a lot more flights now going into Stanford, so perhaps it wasn't so much of a problem before, and, and now it is, maybe. I, I don't know what the answer is. You know, it's, it's a tricky situation. It's a sad situation. Well, that is true. So uh, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that is where we bring uh, the commercial segment to a close. Now, bad news, uh, podcast fans, because uh, we actually have to say goodbye to our main man, Mr. Carlos Stebbings. He's got to disappear. Uh, so um, uh, I know I, I, I am very sorry, guys, but <laughs> I, we're, we're being we're being we're being very, very kindly hosted by a lovely couple here. And uh, they've uh, agreed to take me and father out for a few uh bevies in the local yes, brewery so indeed. um okay so we expect lots of tweets please of you going <laughs> to the pub which I'll, none of us I'll are able to do because we're doing your them. show for you but anyway there we are oh, uh, oh. <laughs> how rude yes uh, so yes so everybody well, say goodbye to carlos then as we we let him bye, go away take care be carlos back, be back we'll in, see you in soon. Full, on full form next <laughs> yeah. weekend don't forget and <laughs> yes indeed thank you pip <laughs> can i can i just say before i do go guys can you make sure please that matt sticks to the show notes 
I don't even have them in front Nev, of me. There's no chance. Can I just say, Nev, you're in charge. Nev, Nev. Yeah, okay. Well, Leave if, me. Yeah. If, we were, if we were flying, if we were flying a, a, an aircraft now, Nev, I would be saying to you now, Nev, you have control. Okay, right, fair enough. Yeah, okay. on the second show, right? Well, we'll see about <laughs> yeah, that. No pressure. Then. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm very disobedient, Nev. You're in for a treat. Uh, um, so, yes, absolutely. Uh, no, uh, uh, thank you very much, guys, for uh, for uh, you know for carrying on uh, without me. But uh, I shall be back on full form next weekend, and I shall also be sending regular updates, hopefully in tweets from Riyadh tomorrow. Before I go, if anyone's going to Riyadh who's watching the show right now, I know Tony S, Dan Hannington, you're both in the uh, in the chat room. So I'll see you guys tomorrow at the show. If anyone else who's listening to the show now live is going to be at Riyadh, send us a tweet to the show. You know where we are. And uh, hopefully I'll see you all at the uh, at the show tomorrow. Indeed. Oh, hey, so- look, before you go, what, what's, what have you seen today, Carlos? Have you, did you see the Phantoms arrive? Uh, no, because I was driving here from East Anglia, Pip. Yeah. <laughs> oh, have you not seen anything today? No. All I, all I saw today on the way up here was a uh, EC135. Oh, that's not that exciting, is well, it? Indeed. No. Yes, indeed. Anyway, Sorry. we better let you go, mate. So, uh, yeah, right. take care. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, I'll speak uh, to you soon. Yeah, yeah, have a good time at Riot, Matt. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you guys. Bye-bye. Okay, and there he was gone. Right now, chaos, everyone. Let's let's see how much trouble mm-hmm. we can cause. Uh, okay, so uh, while we're uh, in this uh, in this particular frame of mind, what we're going to do then, if that's all right with the legend that is Nev, is it's t- I think it's time uh, for your little segment. So if you perhaps like to introduce it for us. Yeah, by all means. Uh, well, it was quite fortuitous this week. One of my uh, uh, um, industry colleagues was over from uh, Australia uh, this week, so I caught up with him and I had a bit of a chat with him about the um, the passenger experience. And uh, one thing I asked him about, of course, is this uh, new Perth to London non-stop service that uh, Qantas are offering uh, in March of next year. And is, is that the sort of thing which he will be interested in flying with? So, uh, yeah, quite a good uh, quite a good chat. And uh, we were in a nice Starbucks, uh, <laughs> just outside of St Albans in Hertfordshire, and uh, anyway, yeah, all all went nicely, and so yeah, please do play it out. Hello, everybody. It's Nev here again with Nev's passenger experience segment. On Tuesday of this week, I bumped into an industry colleague of mine, Peter Hunt. And Peter is a Brit, but he's based in Perth in Western Australia. He's lived there for many years, and he travels all around the world on business. Peter is an independent acoustic and audiovisual consultant and I've known Peter for a number of years now and we got talking about the general level of airline experience and the general passenger experience, you know, the usual subjects that we talk about. And I was quite interested in talking to Peter because he does do a lot of domestic flying as well, especially in Australia and in the Asia Pacific region. I first asked him whether he was flying economy or business classes on these sectors. In Australia, I tend to fly economy most places because it's um, it's only a four-hour flight from one side of the country to another. But if it's on the way back to Perth, it's got headwinds, so it tends to be longer. And I use my points to upgrade. Um, the difference between economy and business is significant, in my opinion. Uh, in economy, it's very much cattle-class stuff and you know cardboard boxes with food and um, tea and coffee in a plastic cup. Uh, when you get up to business, um, it, they take a little bit longer to serve the meal and it tends to be you know, presented a little bit nicer. And it does make the journey a little bit easier and a bit more palatable. Um, they've also introduced the, uh, the sleeper seats on the east-west routes within Australia as well. So that does mean that if you had a long day and you still haven't quite adjusted to the time zone, you're feeling a bit tired, you can doze off for an hour, which does make a difference. It, it's a thing to be forgotten, I think, when you're travelling east-west across Australia, you're, tra- you're travelling across at least two, sometimes three time zones in the summer. 
and so if you have an early start in Perth and you've you know you've got a late finish in Melbourne and what have you then you know you start your body clock gets thrown out even a couple of days so having that ability to snooze is quite useful. Now a lot of people I've interviewed uh, we've been talking about British Airways in particular obviously here and the, the general sort of decline of, of service are you finding any problems like that with, with, with Qantas or any of the other airlines that you're, you're flying with? I think to be truthful all the airlines are having to find a way of making more money and one of the ways of making more money is to stop spending as much money servicing their economy class passengers in the way that we used to probably 10 years ago um, I remember distinctly a, um, a British Airways advert when I lived here with a, a you know a, they served a full breakfast between London and Edinburgh or London and Manchester and London and, and um, in Glasgow and now I imagine you probably don't get that I mean I came back today on a Finn Air flight on a flight from uh, Finland and uh, the economy guys were busy with their Marks and Spencers thing and I was sitting in the, in the sharp end and I got served a breakfast um, but I have to be honest what looked to me to be not particularly appetising for £4.95 to buy a half eaten bacon sandwich wasn't really my idea of a good investment I don't think and I, I just think it's a it's a shame but it's probably the sign of the times these guys are, you know, you look at the airfares now. When I first moved to Australia in 1981, a return airfare was nearly £2,000 in 1981. Today, I can get to Australia and back for £600. And you know, something's got to give. Either they were making too much money in those days, or, um, or they, they, we're at a, a normal point now. I, I don't know, but yeah, the, the, it's definitely declined. Now, um, obviously, you can't normally do uh, Perth to uh, Heathrow in one hit, so you've got, you've got to stop off somewhere, be Singapore, Hong Kong, or uh, Dubai, all sorts of different places. But, of course, next year, March 2018, Qantas are launching their Dreamliner 7879 service from Perth to London non-stop. Is that the sort of service which would be of interest to you? There is no doubt that that service will have a premium cost associated with it. Um, I think from an economy point of view, it's... It's a long way. Um, they do do flights of a similar length. So certainly Melbourne to Dallas is a 15-hour flight. Um, I think Singapore to New York is also a direct flight they used to do, which is similar sort of size. This is not the first time that flights of that duration have been done, but it is the first time that they've linked Australia and the UK together in, in a non-stop service. I have to be honest, the Queen did it when she visited for Chogham in 2012. She had a 777, which was loaded to the gunnels with fuel, and off it went in one direction, and it didn't stop on the way. Would I do it? I think I would if I was uh, flying in a business class section because you can stretch out and sleep and do what you want when you want to do it. I think in the economy it's a, it's a long way and you know, you, you, as life goes on and you get a little bit older, you get a bit stiffer from sitting in that position for too long and it starts to become quite uncomfortable. Um, I think for families with children it will be popular, particularly when you've got small children which can sort of spread out a bit across the seats and, and the parents can spread out also a little bit. But uh, there will always be people who will take it up. There will always be people who will do it, yes, without a doubt. But um, I expect the prices to be at a premium. Well, there you go. That was me talking with Peter on Tuesday of this week. And it's really interesting to see how Qantas are going to make this service work. Just for a bit, a bit of background, it says that the 14,498-kilometre uh, service will be the first regular passenger service to fly directly uh, from Australia to Europe when it begins in March 2018. And uh, this is going to take 17 hours from Perth non-stop. In 1947, it took four days and nine stops. So it's a, a big difference, isn't it? So uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed that interview. That was a, uh, a chat in the Starbucks in a Hertfordshire uh, village uh, just outside northwest London. And uh, it was really interesting to talk to Peter. But let's hand over to the guys in the studio, to Carlos and Matt and the chat room. Would you want to sit on an airplane for 17 hours in one hit? I certainly wouldn't. 
Well, yes, let, let, let it, let's indeed discuss that chat room. So uh, how do we feel about that? It's, uh, I, d I don't know, Pip, how do you feel about a sort of 17-hour flight? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm guessing you've probably done it, knowing you. <laughs> no, not quite that long. I wouldn't fancy that uh, in any seats, either in the cockpit or otherwise. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's, that sounds horrendous, 17 hours. Yeah. Um, I guess you could probably survive it up in business or first. But, uh, wow, in economy, that's... <sighs> That's tough. That does but also, of course, they are using the the Dreamliner to do it. So again, with that reduced cabin altitude, maybe it might be a bit more manageable, uh, possibly. Oh, but... Possibly so, yeah. But mm. I think it's just more the the sort of the claustrophobia aspects. The yeah. you know, seventeen hours being crammed in a small tube, seven eight seven or three eighty. I don't think it matters mm. too much, does it? Just the one thing, as I would say, area. is I certainly wouldn't recommend it in a seven five seven three hundred. But anyway, that's a, <laughs> just, just you might run, out, <laughs> might run out of range. Well, yeah, there is that. Yeah, <laughs> fair point. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really lovely comparison, though, uh, Nev, you mentioned there that back in 1949, it took four days and nine stops. Um, mm. You know, how, how far we've come. I remember my granddad telling me stories of, you know, when he was in the army, having to get down to Malaysia on these wacky old aeroplanes and it taking a week and a half to get there via Aden and Timbuktu and Antarctica and the moon and everywhere else. <laughs> and a week later, they get there. And now we can, you know, go halfway around the world in less than a day sort of overnight um, isn't it i mean it, i mean yeah, it is amazing a, really it is it's uh, any, any uh, feedback from the chat room there guys about it they're talking about, about the, food and uh, right. drinking, I'm afraid. So yeah, that'll no, be, they're that'll not, be they're not interested at all. No, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Okay, so uh, uh, <laughs> we're just going to take a very... Chat room, chat room, are you still there, chat room? <laughs> yeah, who knows, who knows. We're just going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back after these quick messages. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. Thevoicesinyourhead.com The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pays us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening. flyby5823 trent dane for 23 hour manchester with air 6x climb flight level 210 direct to britain's park United 123, maintain 280 knots. London 2TME, turn right onto Bravo, link 21, join Alpha, hold at Mora. Speedbird 472, LOC slash DME, approach runway 27 left. Follow the green stand 544. That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer.
And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we go. <laughs> Well, uh, whilst we were on our little break there, they did finally mention a couple of things uh, of uh, of note, shall we say. Uh, Lane Lane Street had one great idea, was that uh, you drink for four hours, sleep for four hours, repeat, and you're almost there. Uh, that's <laughs> certainly one option. Uh, Mark Harvey, always very helpful. Did someone hear something? There was this weird, strange buzzing. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're talking about, actually, Glenn uh, Towler, one of the reg- regular listeners to the show. Uh, he's uh, Glenn's flight today, Wellington to Atlanta, so many time zones. This is what Liz Piper has written saying that uh, uh, it's a 22 hour trip for Glenn I must admit I think mine was a 26 hour flight I did uh, um, before I got uh, before I had my incidents that we won't talk about um, uh, I did what I flew from uh, Heathrow to um, uh, New Zealand and that was a 26 hour flight by the time everything had, uh, had all gone on but uh, yes uh, other than that yes as usual it's uh, all about food in the chat room so uh, <laughs> uh, maybe we should uh, move on to some military stories so uh, uh, Pip seems to have disappeared but other than that is everybody ready yes let's go Liz was actually saying that uh, Glenn he leaves on Saturday, but he also arrives on Saturday, which is uh, mm, quite yeah. clever. But uh, anyway, yes. Yeah, so we'll go straight on to the first story. I'll take this one if I may. This is on the Royal Air Force website, and the headline is: Defence Secretary announces new maritime patrol aircraft squadrons. So the Defence Secretary announced the numbers of the UK's two new maritime patrol aircraft squadrons and the first commanding officer on Thursday the 13th of uh, July 2017. Nine new PA-8 Poseidon maritime patrol aircraft will be operated by number 120 squadron uh, and the number 201 squadron from RAF Lossiemount in Murray. Uh, 120 squadron was the RAF's highest scoring anti-submarine unit uh, in the Second World War with 14 kills. 201 squadron can trace its origins back to the formation of the number one squadron Royal Navy Air Service in 1914 Wing Commander James Hansen will oversee the formation of the 120 squadron with uh, from April 18, 2018. 201 squadron will form in 2021 The aircraft's key role will be to help protect the UK's submarine deployed nuclear deterrent and its two new a- aircraft carriers. The UK government is investing £3 billion over the next decade uh, in its maritime patrol aircraft capacity Defence Secretary Sir Michael Fallon said, 
Our nine new Poseidon aircraft are part of our plan to monitor and deal with increased threats to our country. They can operate at long range without refueling and have the endurance to carry out high and low airborne maritime and over overland surveillance for extended periods helping keeping us safe. The P-8A aircraft will allow us to work more closely with our allies, improve our surveillance coverage and will provide value for taxpayers' money. The Chief of the Air Staff, Air Chief Marshal Sir Stephen Hillier said, uh, Today is an important milestone in the P-8A Poseidon programme which will bring to the Royal Air Force an unrivaled maritime patrol capacity, the uh, advanced state-of-the-art sensors ab aboard the P-8A. A will provide global protection to UK, NATO, and our allies, submarines and warships, and enhance our complement the UK uh, and sorry, enhance and complement the UK's standing search and rescue responsibilities. It's also a great pleasure to welcome back 120 and the 201 squadrons. Both have long and distinguished records serving in the maritime role, and together they will help forge the next generation Royal Air Force. So, uh, yes, very exciting news for RAF Lossiemouth. As I say, they're welcoming uh, two new squadrons, which is uh, great news. So, uh, did, uh, anybody know anything about the P P8A? No, sorry. Okay, fair enough. Pip, do you know anything about it? This is where, this is where we need Jonathan Warner, isn't it? It's, uh, he yeah, we did. I'm pretty sure we saw one at Riyadh last year. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a movie named after it as well. Right, the, uh, the, the, what, the Poseidon event. Yes, okay, <laughs> indeed. But that's about it. But this is long overdue. The UK has been without uh, effective anti-sub capability mm. for, for years now, since we prematurely got rid of the Nimrod. Yeah. Um, uh, indeed, which yeah. was a crazy decision. We, we got rid of it. We had, and the Nimrod, although it was an old aircraft, it had some of the best available uh, anti-sub kit in it. Uh, it was absolutely first rate. And from what I understand, we sold it all to the Americans uh, and five minutes later realised we didn't have any anti-submarine stuff <laughs> and then started renting it back from the Americans at right. twice the price we sold it for. Of course, yes. That, that sounds very British. Uh, and, uh, yes. Another stunning deal from our UK government Excellent. there. You know, well, you know, how, long do you, how long do you think that um, we could have kept the Nimrod going for in terms of you know parts and spares and, and that kind of thing, Pip? Oh, gosh, it's a good question. I'm, I think there's a will, there's a way, I suppose. Mm. Um, you know, I think that the RAF has a pretty long and distinguished history in keeping aircraft mm. airborne years past their sell-by date. Yeah. I mean, for goodness sake, we were still flying the yeah. Shackleton until not so That's many true. years ago. And uh, uh, Mark, um, Mark Harvey has very kindly said in the chat room to help me out here. He says it was based on it's based on the 737 maritime reconnaissance replacement for the faithful Nimrod, which is uh, what you were just saying there. But yes, uh, yeah, so yes. it's uh, in which case, yes, the 737. I remember now. We definitely did. Uh, see one at Riyadh, and we we mm. interviewed the pilots. I think, if I remember correctly, we probably Carlos did. I. Yes, yes, yes. I wish my memory was better, uh, but uh, yes, there we are. Uh, Nev, if you could take the next story, please, I would be most grateful. Yes, this is from Flight Global, and uh, it talks about the fact that the U.S. Air Force investigation blames a Lockheed Martin F-35 engine fire last September at Mountain Home Air Force Base, Idaho, on strong tailwinds, according to an accident report released by the service this week. Winds as high as 30 knots blew during... So winds as high as 30 knot blue during 
as the Pratt & Whitney F-135 engine began a start sequence, forcing hot air into the Honeywell Integrated Power Packages Inlet. As, as air temperatures rose inside the IPP, a mini-engine that supplies electric power and starts the engine, which I guess is like an APU by the sounds of it, a series of malfunctions occurred. The lower density of the air produced insufficient torque needed to start the engine, which slowed the rotation of the turbine section. At the same time, fuel continued to supply the engine at an increasing rate, which spurred an engine fire that burst from the exhaust. The tailwind spread across the fire across spread the fire across the aircraft and caused significant damage to a portion of the aircraft's aft section. The fire surrounded the engine's exhaust nozzle, damaging several nozzle segments as well. The pilot escaped but sustained minor injuries, including burns on his head, neck, face and ears, the report states. The service has not yet determined the total cost, but estimates aircraft damages will cost over $17 million. The report also lays blame on the lack of pilot awareness and training for tailwind conditions during an engine, engine start. A pilot's checklist included a warning that strong tailwinds during an engine start could cause an IPP failure, but the checklist made no warnings about the tailwind limit. The heavily automated F-35A engine start process also led pilots to believe that the aircraft handled most of the start procedures and pilots assumed that there were no problems if the dials were green, according to the report. Preponderance of evidence shows that if there had been an expectation of engine startup problems with the tailwind, the pilot may have relied less on aircraft automation and may have identified an abnormal engine start earlier, writes USAF Colonel Dale Hetker, who conducted the investigation. The vague awareness led to inadequate, inadequate training for engine starts uh, with a tailwind. Training also resulted in complacency and an over-reliance on aircraft automation. Well, we've heard that before, but we yeah. don't normally talk about aircraft automation during a, a start sequence, do we? So no, uh, that's, uh, that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed, it's, it's, it's a funny old one, really. Uh, uh, Pip, can I trouble you to take the last story, please? That would be my absolute pleasure. <laughs> Okay, here it is. This is from Flight Global. Well, that is a genuinely good website, flightglobal.com. Uh, the United States Air Force calls for drone defenses after F-22 overflight. In the course of one day last week, the Air Force counted two reports of small drones interfering with operations at an ACC base, uh, Jen Mike Holmes told the audience in Washington, D.C. this week. In one incident, a Lockheed Martin F-22 almost collided with a small drone during its final approach, and during another, a gate guard watched a drone fly over the top of a gate and track the vehicle as it flew over the flight line. Well, that's a bad thing, isn't it? It's not good news, uh, is it? I, no, it's not. Uh, quote here, I have no authority given to me by the government to deal with that, this guy says. Imagine a world where somebody flies a couple of hundred of those and flies one down the intake of my F-22 with just a small weapon on it. While ACC has no authority to disable or track UASs near its base, the Air Force's nuclear sites are working on getting government approval for a deal with gates crashing drones. Uh, earlier this year, the head of Global Strike Command lamented the complex web of government agencies that must approve a drone defense strategy. It's not a military authority, it's a civil authority that can the be executed by military forces, Holmes Splendid. says. Well, the rules well are basically the same as if it were a civil aircraft. If it was a civil aircraft, I could track it back to where it started from and I could admonish that pilot or take their license, where the small UAS is really hard to get after. 
Uh, final paragraph, the UASF will receive approval for the nuclear bases first and homes will request Air Force headquarters to extend those authorities beyond the global strike assets, it says. The United States Air Force has already issued requests for counter drone technologies and industry representatives are vocal about their offerings but the service still needs to wait for approval. Uh, so, uh, yes, that is where we uh, wrap up the military segment for uh, this week. A um, couple of things that uh, we're going to talk about, if we may. Uh, if you uh, aren't aware, myself and Carlos and hopefully anyone else who wants to come uh, on uh, the uh, 30th of July, on the Sunday, the 30th of July, myself, Carlos and uh, whoever else is available will be at Broadcasting live, sorry, on the Sunday from the old Buckingham Air Show. That's on the 30th of July uh, on the Sunday. We're going to do like we did uh, at uh, Seething, basically, and broadcast as much of the show as we can. And speaking of Seething, on the 20th of August, they've moved it to a slightly earlier time because it always used to be in September, but the Seething Air Show this year is on the 20th of August. That, that again, is the Sunday, and we're going to be doing the show live uh, from there as well. So if you're able to attend either of those air shows... Uh, uh, look them up on Google, but it's the old Buckingham Air Show on the 30th of July, that's on the Sunday, and then a seeding air show on the 20th of August, that's also on the Sunday. Now, uh, several of us, unfortunately Pip wasn't able to make it, but uh, myself and the legend that is um, Nev, uh, we, we had a, a rather nice day uh, on uh, Sunday just gone, didn't we? We went somewhere rather nice. Yeah, it was brilliant, wasn't it? And went to uh, Duxford um, and to the Flying Legends show. The weather turned out to be a lot better than was forecast, actually, as well. We had to get the had to get the sun cream out as well at one point. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it was a, a superb turnout in terms of uh, crowd, wasn't it, Matt? And uh, it was. Yeah, yeah, we did uh, a lot of stuff there actually. And uh, yes, I think they they did a very good job. And um, the whole thing was, I felt, was organised really well. It uh, was. Obviously, it was a two two day show, but we just went on the Sunday. But uh, no. I I really enjoyed it. So, uh, yes, our, our, our uh, footage uh, from the air show, and uh, we, we got to interview a few people. We got to meet uh, some of our listeners while we're there, and it gives me great pleasure to play that out for you now. Good morning, listeners. It's Carlos here at the Flying Legends air display at the Imperial War Museum in Duxford, and uh, I'm here with Matt. Hello. Hello. And also Nev. Morning, morning, morning. And we're sitting here on a on a lovely, comfortable picnic table with a slightly uh, cloudy sky, but it's uh, clearing out, hopefully, for the rest of the day. The forecast is quite good for the air show. Uh, backing onto us is the runway, and uh, behind us is one of, one of the most iconic British uh, aircraft, the uh, Bristol Blenheim, uh, the only one flying, uh, serviceable flying in the world, which is quite good to see. And uh, hopefully the, the Blenheim will be flying in a display this afternoon. Um, we had a nice journey here this morning, and uh, Matt was uh, my chauffeur this morning, and um, we, we left reasonably early, and we, I'm glad we did because the, the uh, queues of traffic were starting to build up quite uh, a lot when we got to the car park uh, first thing this morning. But we're waiting on uh, a few of the listeners who are joining us here this morning, including the lovely Myla, who will uh, be joining us later on this morning. Uh, but uh, any words from you, Mr. Uh, Mr. Matt, about uh, what, uh, what you're looking forward to today? It's really early. <laughs> it's really early. We left the house. At, well, I picked you up at 6 a.m., didn't I? Um, we do, well, I don't know why we end up with all these various jobs and we're leaving at stupid o'clock in the morning. I, I, one of these days we'll get to leave, you know, maybe sort of mid-morning. But, uh, yeah, we've got here nice and early. One of the advantages about being here so early, we 
pulled straight into the car park. There was no traffic as such. But I think if we'd have left it another, you know, as we were then walking over the footbridge, I mean, it was queued up. Yeah, literally a 10-minute window. It's now queued up back as far as the roundabout uh, onto the 505. So, uh, yeah, it's really nice. We're sat, we're sat up right next to the Flying Legends marquee, and there's a little sugar hut uh, just behind us. And... Uh, We've uh, colonised a park bench, basically, for the day, which we don't intend on letting go now until we all go home later. But, yeah, looking forward to meeting uh, a few more listeners. Uh, it sounds like we've got quite a, quite a crowd, hopefully, coming to, to see, to sort of meet up later. So it's, uh, it's going to be really good. But, uh, as I say, myself... Carlos and Never all here, and uh, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing some displays. I'm going to sit here because I know nothing about these these military things, so I'm going to sit here and read a, uh, a the uh, Flying Legends magazine that we bought on the way in or the program. So I'm hoping to be better educated later in the show. So Nev, you, you came a bit further to get uh, to here today, but you uh, you had a overnight accommodation in five star hotel, didn't you? <laughs> well, actually, no. I left. I left this morning at about uh, ten to six, um, but the traffic was great. I've never seen the M25 as quiet. It's wow. beautiful. If only it was like that every <laughs> single day of the week, it would make my working yeah, life yeah, yeah. a lot easier. I can tell you. Uh, but uh, the most important thing is the bacon roll has been consumed. Yes. I'm going to give, give that about seven out of ten. I don't think it'll be up to Al's standard, so we'll have to do some uh, catering recce later on as well. I must say, actually, we, we we did had a little cheeky stop at a BP garage uh, where the A14 and the A11 meet. Uh, um, if anybody knows this area, will know. And there's a little BP thing, and it got like a wild bean calf and, and that. And we had, we had a, a bacon turnover each, didn't we? And Carlos is rather prone to what I like to describe as cremated bacon uh, and and cheese. And, I like my meat well done. Yeah, indeed, absolutely. And uh, and I had a normal one because I'm not weird. And uh, and that with the with the coffee, and that really did hit the spot. Has to be said uh, first thing, but we're going to stop talking about food. Otherwise, we'll get. In we're, we're here. We are here for obviously the aviation. On the on the actual flight line behind us, alongside the uh, the Bristol Blenheim, there is also a very nice lineup of uh, Spitfires. Uh, various different marks of Spitfire behind us, uh, which will also be flying in the display this afternoon. And I do believe the, I think, uh, I haven't looked at the program yet, but I think the Red Arrows as well are going to be flying this afternoon at the show. So it's anyway, all to look forward to. We rudely interrupted Nev, so... <laughs> so anyway, Nev, so you're obviously uh, you're, you've joined us today. It's very uh, very good of you to come down. Our, our, our newest and uh, most esteemed how team long, member... How long are you going to keep calling him? <laughs> well, yes, and uh, really, really enjoying it as well. It's nice to, uh, to rock up with you guys. And, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a good day today. I was just talking to the, uh, the organisers this morning, and they said it, they had about 13,000 people yesterday come through. And uh, the security operative on the gate uh, took my car apart for me on, on the way in. I don't, I don't think he was actually looking for anything. He just wanted to be nosy about my car, actually. That's what the real story. Uh, but, no, it's going to be a great day today. Looking forward to seeing uh, some listeners and to chat to them. A couple of special guests. I think are going to turn up as well later on so that'll be nice to do some interviews with them and uh, the weather is set fair it is. It's, the cloud base is quite high, actually, isn't it? So it's uh, it's ideal in lots of ways because it means we're not all burning to a cinder already. Um, but uh, as I say, the cloud base shouldn't cause any problems. I think we should get full displays today by the look of it because the, the cloud base is pretty high. So uh, I'm just sitting here looking through the... Oh, the red arrows are only on yeah. Sunday, so we're not going to see them today, unfortunately. On here, it's what, only Sunday. Oh, it's Sunday today. Now, oh God, <laughs> that's that's a big faux pas there. First one there. Yeah, yeah. So to be to be fair, so I did I did go to bed at at, <laughs> at ten past one this morning. Yeah, okay, so it's 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 so now boy, twenty to nine. Well, no, me and, so. Me and, 
Me and Deb will go and watch the Red Arrows then at one twenty while Carlos goes and have a, has a nap. Then we've got Spitfires, uh, Spitfire Tail Chase, and uh, various Spitfire Fly, Spitfire Flypasts around about two p.m. Actually, what is b- bizarre is normally the Red Arrows on at the end of the day. Yeah. They're actually yeah. on the as the around. first display team today. Yeah, that's a good way to kick off any air show, though, isn't it? Mm. The, the you know. It's a pretty good, uh, well, I assume these timings are, uh, I mean, they're alarmingly accurate because at 2.14, apparently. Not 2.13. Well, no, indeed. No, indeed. Uh, So I'll be amazed if they manage to stick to to the schedule. Uh, But the naval fighters at 2.14. 2.32, we've got the Curtis fighters. That's the P-36 and P-40s. 2.44, the B-17G Flying Fortress and the P-51. That's going to be one to see, that is, yeah. That's uh, that's the, depending on what side you look at that one, that's the Memphis Bell or the Sally B. Oh, wow. So, whatever side you look at the actual uh, aircraft, it's painted on each side. Yeah. But. Uh, uh, five past three, we've got the classic formation. That's the C-47A and the Beach 18s. Uh, 3.19, we've got the Luftwaffe North Africa campaign aircraft. Uh, that's going to be quite interesting, including uh, a uh, P-40F. Uh, in that 338 it's very specific timings isn't it 338 uh, it's the the one that I love personally where we will see the Blenheim uh, and the Hurricanes the Spitfires the Gladiator and the BF 109E that's obviously the Battle of Britain fly past uh, three minutes past four <laughs> it's just, these these timings are so bizarre three minutes past four it's the Horseman that's the P51 um, Mustangs 417 is the Air Racing so that's the Comet Mugul Mystery Ship and Cosmic Wind 427 is the Douglas Transporters, that's the C-47s. There's a few of them in that display, actually, the, uh, D- the C-47s, so that should be good to see those in formation. Yeah, uh, 439 is the Naval Aviation, the PBV-1, Casno-A and the FM-2 Wildcats. 448 is the Balbo Finale, uh, and at 452 it's the Jokers, that's the Gladiator and the Fury. So it's a, it's, it's a, a nice little programme. And a good lineup. Flying Legends, yeah, very much so. And just for the benefit of Micah, because um, we know Micah is a big lover of this particular aircraft, just over to our right, over towards where the uh, Concorde hangar is, uh, there is the PBY Catalina, which is uh, parked up. But I can't see it on the display, but uh, it uh, is there on display on the static display today. Yeah, I've misread the programme, actually. I thought it said at 2.32 it was uh, Curtis Steigers was on, but uh, uh, it's actually Curtis Fighter, so that's obviously something different entirely. My my apologies, guys. (laughs) (laughs) A concert as well. Air show and concert. Exactly. Oh, so it's all, all in all, it's going to be a great day, I think. We've, we're, we're, obviously, the weather's good. You know, it's a slight breeze, which at the moment is a crosswind on the, uh, the main runway here at Duxford, um, which is not going to be an issue, I think, because it's not that much of a breeze. It's about six-knot breeze here today. Uh, there are plenty of wonderful NOTAMs that have been released on the, uh, the Aero Weather site, which I use for uh, the flying purposes. Uh, so a nice list of NOTAMs from, uh, for what, where people can and cannot fly near to Duxford. So uh, just round up before we uh, close up this little snippet of audio then, uh, Matt, uh, any last words? Uh, yeah, wh- when are the bacon rolls? You've already had yours, okay. and you, Nev. <laughs> yeah, as long as we're staying near to the uh, catering concessions, uh, oh, and, and the lavatories as well, of course, that well, would be I'm, good. I'm, but I'm with, And without Captain Al here, I feel it's our duty to ensure that all catering venues have been ap- appropriately serviced uh, to ensure that everything's well. 
All right, there's some action uh, as we speak. Hold on one second. Carlos is going to get his, get his camera out. And uh, but uh, No, I think um, it's going to be a very good day today, and it's not too hot. I think they're going to be talking about 25, 26 degrees, but it's not going to be the, the, the full-on sunshine that we had the other day, so that's uh, quite nice, quite manageable. And actually, the nice thing about ducks was there's plenty of space. I know it can get busy here, but they've got all the, the parking nicely organised, and we were here quite early, weren't we? But uh, that was a, a good thing. Yeah, it is very much so. I'm, I'm always a, a believer because you can always kill time at the other end can't you there's nothing worse than sitting in traffic trying to get in and out but yeah that's where we're going to wrap up for the moment um as i say looking forward to a good meet up and uh, carlos do you have an update what is that i think that's a c47 now coming right, in okay. yeah c47 just uh, coming in to uh, to land on finals right. so. some more people joined us here at the duxford air show and here's myla hello good morning the weather is great and uh, we're having lots of fun, so it's good to be here. Thank you very much for coming and thank you for organising it because I think if it wasn't for you, none of us would be, would be here today probably. Yes, well, um, I'm glad that everybody uh, joined us here today and uh, it's a lot of fun to see everyone. It's awesome. So. Yeah, tell us about your, your flight training. What, what's happened so far? Um, so far I've had the introduction week, which is basically one week of ground school where they familiarize yourself with um, all the company procedures and safety issues and um, how things work between the uh, cabin crew and the flight deck. And it's been very interesting. So, yeah, I've had a good time. How long is that course running for? Uh, six days usually. We've got five days at one location, then then a six day at another location where we do um, emergency exits, going down the slides. Uh, we've been to the swimming pool to do uh, the life vests, and we've done firefighting. So it's very practical as well as theoretic. Are you enjoying it? Yes, very much. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, thanks very much, Steve, for coming, Myla, and we will see you later on. I expect. All right. Thank you. Joining me here. By the picnic table is one of our listeners, Tony S. Good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Carlos. Uh, I'm really excited to be at this uh, Duxford Air Show. I've finally got to meet Carlos, Matt, Neville, and the lovely Myla, of course. That's the highlight of the weekend. We're going to see the Red Arrows, lots of planes this afternoon, so I'm really excited. So, Tony, where, where did you travel from to get here today, then? I travelled down from Teesside. It's, it's quite a long run, about three hours. Uh, stayed the night going to enjoy the air show stay the night have a meal tonight hopefully and uh, back tomorrow excellent so i have to ask tony where, uh, where did you find this uh, this podcast this plane talking uk podcast well it all stems from captain jeff as usual um everything comes seems to emulate from uh, captain jeff's podcast and uh, it's just a wonderful community and it's great to listen to all these podcasts and finally meet the hosts Excellent, excellent. And uh, this is obviously uh, one of many air shows you've probably attended. Uh, what, what are the other more memorable air shows you've attended in the UK or, or abroad? Well, this, this one's a good air show, of course, but next weekend we've got Riyadh, which I'm really excited about because that is one of the biggest air shows in the world, and uh, I'm really excited about that. I'm hopefully doing a long weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I shall see you there on uh, Saturday then, Tony. Yeah, that'd be good. Have you uh, done Farnborough? Is that another one you... No, I haven't done Farnborough, but hopefully next year, um, if we're having a meet-up there, that would be great. There we go. If you're listening, Stuart Aslett, we need another meet-up at Farnborough. 
uh, for 2018. Oh, but actually, it's become very warm, so lots of sun cream is being applied. I must say, actually, I'm quite looking forward to because we have had about sort of 20 to 30 minutes of unbroken sunshine, and I, I'm, I'm a little bit, whew, a bit warm in here. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to some cloud cover. Yeah, we, we can't <laughs> overdo it, can we? Anyway, uh, as Matt and I have been sitting here, uh, another PT UK listener has turned up. Welcome to Barbara. Hello. Hello, Nev. It's great to be here with everybody again. I made it in time, although there was a diversion. So I was slightly late. I'm sorry about that. Um, but I managed to find you eventually. How long did it take you to drive down? Uh, oh, it usually takes me about an hour and a half, but I think it took me about, about two hours. But it, the roads were fine. The roads were really great because I've been to a few air shows and no problems at all coming to Duxford. Good stuff. Well, it's going to be a great day, as we've said previously, and uh, one of the first um, sh- displays we're going to see is the Red Arrows uh, just after lunch, so that'll be very nice to accompany our fat burger with, which I'm sure we'll, we'll find from somewhere. What's, what's the catering uh, situation, uh, Matt, do you think? Well, I mean, uh, other than the obvious everything is hideously overpriced uh, scenario, which I think is pretty standard for most air shows, uh, I don't know, I think the thing that's grabbing my interest the most at the moment has to be the fish and chip stall. That one, I think, is probably where I'm going to end up, because I had a burger yesterday, so, uh, yeah, I don't think, uh, yes, we've really got to stop talking about food. (laughs) And just finally, talking about food, what's your uh, catering choice today, Barbara? What what do you think? Well, I thought Matt's choice would be that rainbow-coloured candy floss over there. So, uh, what am I going to have? A burger, probably. Well, chip, chips, definitely. Chip, chips and uh, 99. Yes, yes, yes. You, you missed the ice creams, actually. We had the uh, Captain Al moment earlier, which was uh, very nice. Oh, the PA's fired up again. Yes, well, I'm just coming off the back of a very fat week uh, with Captain Nick Anderson and Liz Piper and goodness knows what else, and have Adam Spink, so I really probably should just be drinking water and, and not eating at all, but uh, this, this will be my last day of eating for some time, I think. Last day of eating solids. Yes, I think so. Right, so uh, back later on, and uh, we'll have some more news then. Uh, we always talk about the catering, don't we? But we, we've done that to death now, so we're not going to talk about the catering anymore. But what I like about it is the organisational side of things. It was really easy to get in, easy to park the car. I know we, you know, we came early, but actually, I thought the organisers done a really good job uh, for the two-day show here. And uh, the number of people that are here, I don't know. I think they said about thirteen thousand. Yes, there's probably some more t- today. But the whole organisational ability it seems to be great. And it's one of the things that you always fear the worst, you know, concerts and events and things like that. You always think, oh, God, it's going to take me ages to get in or to get out. But actually, they made it very easy uh, today. So, uh, yeah, very impressed. Very impressed indeed. And I'm, I'm glad they started the show with the Reds because uh, that is, uh, you know, a, a great uh, trademark of, of the United Kingdom. And I think it's a really nice thing to, to show off. Um, and uh, again, to have the commentary uh, going on at the same time, you could hear the RT as well. So that was uh, really nice to, to hear all that. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got plenty more to come. So uh, they've they've packed a lot in uh, this afternoon. So that's uh, that's really good. Actually, I, this sounds a bit odd. I don't come to a lot of air shows really. So just to see, uh, especially some of the older stuff as well. I mean, I, I tend to watch some of the newer stuff. So I tend to go to, when I do go to air shows. It tends to be, you know, civil and, and modern military. But to see some of this old stuff flying is is absolutely fascinating. And uh, and what good condition the aircraft are in, uh, and uh, the, the the pilots that uh, that fly them as well. They're absolutely superb. So really enjoy. Um, well, this is my very first air show, and so far I've been surprised, I've been amazed. Um, 
There's so many people here, so many aircraft. There's a lot to see. There are stands that sell things, and I'm just enjoying it all, taking it all in. And then tomorrow I'm gonna go through it again. And yeah, it's it's been amazing so far. Well, the first time I saw the Red Arrows, I was flabbergasted, and I thought, wow, this must be such an amazing experience to be able to do this as a pilot and imagine all the training going into it and all the hard work and all the timing and and it's really perfection so it's very inspiring yes absolutely no it's um been a fantastic day so far we've uh, we've had some good uh, tour tours around the uh, the uh, static display aircraft and also in the hangars and uh, me both me Myla Barbara and uh, Tony went over to the American hangar, had a good look, look around there as well, which uh, we thoroughly enjoyed. And obviously we just seen the Red Arrows display, which was a fantastic display as always by those guys. And uh, yeah, and the spit, seeing the Spitfires all together there in formation, what, I mean, not just a good sight, but what a sound, what an awesome sound really. Yes, yeah, we went, uh, went over to the hangar and saw the uh, 002, the uh, Concorde there, the uh, X, uh, X, the uh, the, the one with all the equipment, the test equipment in, which they use for, for uh, testing the Concorde. Had a good look through there. Uh, Myla's first time on the Concorde, so she thoroughly enjoyed that. And uh, there's also some great uh, static display aircraft in that hangar, as well as uh, some of you listeners might know of the uh, Britain Norman Trilander, which is uh, a three-engine propeller aircraft used for uh, short flights up north uh, in Scotland. Uh, between the islands up there and there's one of those in the hangar here and I hadn't seen that here before so that must be a new addition to the uh, the uh, lineup here at Duxford in the hangars. So. Well I'm just looking forward to the more air displays and I'm going to look around the aircraft later on, the static aeroplane, especially in the hangar over there. I might go and visit my old Concorde. Um, and so yeah, and spend time with all my aviation podcast friends and it's lovely to be with Myla as well because I met Myla today she's lovely so you join me here in the John Barleycorn pub uh, where we've come after the Duxford uh, Flying Legends air display and we've just uh, sat down with our uh, podcast family to have a wonderful meal here we've uh, all been uh, very very much spoiled with the choice of food roast beef we've had roast lamb there's been uh, I think we all had roast beef and roast lamb, roast dinners, don't we, today, which has been really nice. But it's been so, so great to have everyone here uh, with us today, uh, especially, you know, all the listeners who've, who travelled down to see us today here at, uh, at the show. Even Owen's here, which is, which is always a bonus. <laughs> but uh, we've had a fantastic day. The sun's been shining. We're all rather um, sunburnt. I shall probably feel this in the morning, I expect, when I, when I have my shower, but uh, it's been a fantastic day. That's what she said, very true. But it's been a fantastic uh, day, like I said. Uh, Matt's thoroughly enjoyed himself, I think. He's uh, been perusing the various uh, outlets of, uh, of sustenance, especially the sweet shop, which is also very good. But the great displays, we've seen some fantastic displays of aircraft. The Red Arrows kicked the day off with, uh, with their usual fantastic display. And also we had a massive, massive end of uh, show display with uh, 50 P-51 Mustangs, Spitfires. Uh, There's also some Texan T-6, I think, there as well, which are in the display. And, uh, yeah, it's all in all, it's been a really, really good time. So we're going to pass the microphone round the table to speak to uh, everyone who's joined us today. 
to uh, tell us a bit about their day here. So we'll pass the mic over to Tony. Thank you, Carlos. Um, yes, we've had a wonderful day at the Duxford Air Show. Um, I'd like to thank the Plain Talking UK host for a wonderful podcast, which has created a great community and has brought us all together here. So I've got to meet some new faces, some new friends. Uh, we've had a wonderful time, and I'll pass you along to the wonderful Myla. Hi, it's Myla here. Thank you, Tony. I've had a wonderful day meeting lots of new people, and we're having such a good time here. We're in the restaurant now, and it's just a wonderful day, and I'm really glad to be part of this. So thank you very much. Yes, hello, Nev here, and uh, more food has been consumed, ladies and gentlemen, and beer. But uh, nonetheless, uh, it's been a great day today. Really nice meeting up with everybody. Perfect weather and, uh, yeah, really superb. Of course, I've met uh, most of these people before, but I've never met Owen before, and uh, here he is. Hey, guys, it's Owen here. Um, yeah, so I've, I've met Nev for the first time. I've, uh, I've been meeting everyone here for the first time. Uh, it's fantastic to see everyone in the flesh. And uh, I've just stepped off a flight. I wasn't at the air show, unfortunately, but um, stepped off flight and uh, Philip managed to uh, give me a lift down here. And uh, we've been enjoying some really nice food and uh, beer and some fantastic company, which is the main thing. Hello, it's Barbara. Well, what can I say about today? It's been brilliant. Very eventful. Um, I did get, I did arrive a little bit late uh, because of a diversion, but it's been worth it. And I've met Tony for the first time, Myla and Philip. Uh, so it's, it's been lovely to meet new people, people that I speak to all the time in the chat room. And uh, it's lovely to see Owen again. I've had a great day. I'm not going to mention the food. It's been great, but, but I'm not going to mention that. I have to say that, that I'd really enjoyed these Spitfires today. Generally, they leave me cold. I'm sorry, but they do. But today, I've really loved them. So, um, yeah, turning a corner there. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's been brilliant. Thank you very much. Hi, it's Philip Davis. Um, sadly, I couldn't make the air show either, same as Owen, um, due to work. Um, but it's great to be here this evening with everybody. Wonderful company, lovely food, as usual, as we always do. Food, food, food. <laughs> Hello, Matt here. Obviously, uh, we've had... Uh, uh, a really quite a special day. I will just mention very briefly, as you probably saw from our Twitter feed, there was a very small, sad piece of news that was at the end of the amazing flypast because it was basically everything that was still on site as, as part of the big finale. Unfortunately, one of the Mustangs, I think, I've forgotten what it was, the TF-51, I think. I can't remember. Somebody correct me if I'm, I'm wrong. But um, unfortunately, one of those ended up uh, safely um, coming down in the field. Pilot got out and everything. So, uh, But really, the, the only very small, sad piece of news, if you like, on an otherwise absolutely wonderful day. Um, it's been, I, I think I mentioned earlier, one of the things that, that blew me away was... was the Spitfires, it was nice to see them doing a, a full-on sort of dogfight type thing, because I mean I've seen them in flypasts, but everybody's always been so precious about them, because they are historical aircraft, but to actually see them really going for it and sort of going in mock, um, mock um, sort of dogfights and stuff was, uh, for me personally, a real highlight, because I've never seen that before as I say, everybody's seen one or maybe two as part of a flypast, but uh, to see them really going for it was, was just great and a lot of them all at the same time. I've never seen so many Spitfires in the air 
all at once. It was really quite magical, and it's uh, it is something that is gonna gonna it's gonna be. I've been to lots of air shows, obviously, because of the of of what we do. But uh, that's really gonna stick in my memory as a as a real highlight for for many years to come. Bye bye, everyone. Bye bye. Fair to say we had an absolutely fantastic uh, day at Duff- Duxford. I must admit I really enjoyed it. And it was so nice to go out for a meal, uh, as you heard uh, during, the, uh, during that segment, uh, uh, with a, a lot of our listeners. It really was uh, quite a special day, Nev. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? And we, we packed a lot in, actually. And the, the key to it was was arriving early. I know that we all yep. uh, left quite early in the morning, but it was really worth it because we managed to get ourselves established on a nice uh, picnic mm-hmm. bench. We did. And uh, we're, we're in uh, pole position, weren't we, as well? So that, that was great. So it was really good for photography and audio and, and that kind of stuff. It so was, it couldn't yep. have been better. But, uh, yeah, it's one of, the, one of the better air shows I've been to, I have to say. Certainly. It is. And, and the Flying Legends is not something I was overly familiar with until we got there. Obviously, it was something that Myler... Uh, uh, set up. I mean, we only went really because we got an invite, an invite from mm. Myla. She happened to be in the UK because obviously she's uh, training uh, for the airline that she's hopefully going to start flying with very soon. So uh, she happened to be at Stansted and that was all very exciting. So uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. And uh, as I mentioned uh, in that segment, of course, the one thing I'd never seen before was this amazing fly pass of multiple Spitfires. I mean, we've all seen like one or two Spitfires doing a fly pass, but they were really going through the motions, doing a, a full on dogfight really mm. oh, it was just absolutely brilliant it's uh, highly recommended if anybody gets the chance to go and see the flying legends next year it really is a stunning stunning thing and do you know what the most difficult part of the whole day was which was right at the end when we're trying to split up the bill yeah. between eight of us <laughs> yeah, uh, that, absolutely. that took about that, 25 minutes it did uh, yeah, absolutely. did Carlos uh, not just pay for it all uh, he no, should have done did. and yeah. I, I told him that that was the right thing to do but no he wouldn't have it so <laughs> apparently we had to split not it up and oh it, it just yeah. went on and on and it on did, so uh, did, uh, we've got to find a, a new method of that kind of thing we have yeah <laughs> it is but uh, no seriously that is where we're going to bring episode number 173 to a close Uh, All it remains for me to say is thank you very much to the wonderful gents that I've been left with. Obviously, Carlos has had to uh, disappear, sadly. But uh, yes, uh, gents, thank you for joining me. It's been a slightly strange show, obviously, with losing our main man halfway through. But uh, thank you for uh, doing such a sterling job of holding things together. Oh, you're very welcome. It was great. Fantastic. Yeah, always a pleasure. Cheers, guys. All right, from all of us here in the studio and uh, around the various parts of the UK, it gives me great pleasure to say goodbye. Bye. Goodbyes. Goodbyes.